listening to Dairy Voice, a podcast exclusively for the dairy industry. Our episode today is about another situation caused by the COVID-19 pandemic. As we know, distortions in the milk market have forced producers in many regions to cut back production. Lowering your herd's production is one more unprecedented aspect of these unprecedented times. With us today is Dr. Mike Lormore, a longtime dairy veterinarian, who's going to talk about some of the management strategies to deal with this. He's the director of U.S. Dairy Cattle Technical Services for Zoetis. Mike, welcome to Dairy Voice. And let me start by asking you to kind of give us your 30,000-foot view. Hi, Joel. Uh, Thanks for inviting me to be with you today. I think at the 30,000-foot view, I can summarize this as I've spent most of the last three decades teaching dairy farmers all across the country and some cases around the world how to make more milk with their cows and how to keep their cows healthy and do a better job of caring for them. And in the last three or four weeks, suddenly that conversation has been flipped on its head and I'm talking to people about how to reduce milk flow off a dairy, which is a conversation that really I've never had to think about before. So clearly a huge challenge for our industry at this point in time. As you say, it's a it's a complete flip things on their heads. Obviously, there's a range of issues to deal with. How do you work with a producer to kind of get the process started? So I think as these conversations has come up, number one, the conversations are not uniform across the country, right? The needs for milk and the needs to reduce milk flow really vary by specific co-op and processor situations that are out there. So the first thing they really need to understand is how does that downstream business really impact my business and what is the request that I've, what is the request that I'm really being asked to meet here? But I think from there, once they understand that situation and they come to us and say, Mike, I need to get down 5% or 10% or 20% in milk production over a very short period of time, how do we do it? I think the number one thing I do with people is say, you know, let's take a very logical and strategic approach to this and not panic about it. Um, And I think what I've learned from working with producers over the last few weeks is there really is a path to do this that is fairly logical and strategic. I think the other thing I really try to to encourage people right up front is to understand what it is that they need to get done and just take a methodical approach to it without thinking this is just a cow culling exercise. Yeah, as we know, cow culling is particularly difficult these days, particularly in some regions, as we've seen uh, some uh, harvesting plants shut down due to the, to the uh, disease of the, with the workers. The usual opportunities for culling cows in many regions aren't there. Yeah, for, for sure that we are seeing, you know, in major dairy markets and major plants that harvest a lot of dairy cows for beef, real challenges there in keeping those plants open right now. I think the other thing to think about relative to not turning this into a cow culling exercise is we want to maintain cow numbers. Um, We need to maintain capital access and cows are an important part of those balance sheets. And so what we want to do is we want to think about how do we get down in milk production without really losing a lot of cows in the process. I expect there's a range of of, uh, issues here for us to talk about today, from uh, nutrition to minimizing even the the dollar losses that that might be involved. Tell, Tell us how you get started. I think the first thing we've got to do is call out what our goals are, really, given the challenge that we need to reduce milk production. You know, first and foremost for everybody, this this entire coronavirus, COVID-19 situation is a human health challenge, and we want to ensure the health and safety of our families on our dairies and of our workforce on our dairies. Uh, We want to make sure that we understand, again, what those requests are, and we want to reduce production to the level 
that we're allowed to produce, right? If we're, we've got to go from 100% to 90%, um, we certainly don't want to be shipping less than 90%. So we want to reduce total production and not incur any penalties associated or as few penalties as possible, at least in terms of uh, any milk that we're shipping over and above our allowed base. Healthy cows are always important, Joel. And we want to do this, go through this process, focusing on health and healthy cows just are it's probably never been a time when having healthy cows is more important than right now because we absolutely can't afford to unnecessarily incur disease costs. And again, I want to reemphasize what we want to do is we want to maintain cow numbers as we go through this um, so that when we get to the other side, we're positioned to reestablish business operations. So once we kind of get through that goal setting session, then there's a number of things that start coming up relative to, you know, how exactly do I get down in milk production? We'll talk about Milking frequency, dry cows and dry cow management, calves, overcrowding, and replacement management has to be considered too as well in this. So, uh, but typically we start with with reducing milking frequency. So obviously we'd say, you know, if I'm doing three times, do I take a look at two times? What if I'm just on a standard two-time schedule? Yeah, so certainly the first thing we do, so I guess the upside to that is most of the cows in the United States right now are milked three times a day. And so there is a lot of opportunity for a lot of producers to make that switch from 3X to 2X. And that should reduce milk production uh, by about 78 pounds per, seven to eight pounds per cow per day, which gets us a long ways down towards meeting those, you know, on a national basis, if we've got to get down 10%, that gets us a long way there. Certainly it becomes more of a challenge if you're on a 2X schedule already because you obviously can't change change milking frequency and go to down to 1X. That's not something that we're really thinking about. So milking frequency changes really does apply just to the to that group of cows that are milked 3X across country. You know, some people will some people have kind of balked at the idea of reducing milking frequency because they want to, again, they get caught in this initial thought process of just culling cows and we'll we'll maintain as few cows as possible and we'll maintain production per cow as high as possible on 3x. But the challenge with that again becomes financially, they're the reducing cow numbers, they're potentially taking cow numbers off their balance sheet, which is going to ultimately end up causing cash flow strains into their situation and really make it more difficult for them to rebound should markets open up and we have the ability to, you know, increase flows off of off of certain dairies. When you kind of get started uh, working with a herd in this situation, Mike, are you thinking about, uh, and let's say we cut back from three to two, are we thinking about reducing the milk flow from the total group? Or are you thinking of maybe some early dry offs in order to cut down the number of cows that go through the parlor or some combination? Yeah, I think, Joel, we're really using a combination of different strategies to get that milk production down, right? The milk handlers and the processors don't care how much milk per cow you ship or how you come up with the number. They're really only interested in total flow off the dairy. And so by utilizing a different, a variety of different on-farm strategies, we can usually get there as we look at a combination of different things. Nutrition might be the first thing that comes to mind. Let's talk about the whole uh, nutritional feeding strategies, feeding frequencies, uh, the menu items. What? <clears throat> how do you approach the, the nutrition aspect? I think it's really important to maintain good nutrition and continue to uh, give cows the opportunity to make as much milk as they can and, and maximize microbial room and microbial protein yield uh, to the extent possible. Typically, though, when as people start thinking about changing their rations, um, and this really needs to be done in conjunction with their nutritionist, typically they're talking about utilizing on-farm forages as a higher proportion of their total diet and decreasing their 
non-farm grown feed purchases, right? Which typically means grains are going down, carbohydrate intake is going down, starch intake is going, going down. Obviously, because of the growing seasons that we've had the last couple of years, particularly in the upper Midwest and the Northeast, forage inventories can be really challenged at this point. So I think the first thing people need to think about Again, when they're working with their nutritionist and the rest of their farm team to consider whether making a nutritional change is an appropriate strategy or not, they really need to understand their on-farm forage inventories and how changing the ration and increasing homegrown forage feeding is going to alter their um, feed change strategy over time. One thing we don't want to have happen is we don't want to be feeding all of our forages now and suddenly realize that we're going to run out of forages before we're able to replace them in the upcoming cropping season. That's a really big concern as people think about making nutritional changes. What are some of the other ingredient issues that, you, that you'd look at with your nutritionist? You know, I think every, every ration is so unique to the farm that it's grown on. Obviously, I think nutritionists all across the country are always working to make sure that we're providing what cows need and what those rumen microbes need all the time and, and obviously maximize the output of, of production. I know that over the last few years, we've gotten really good at feeding various forms of fat and have seen a significant increase in milk fat production by cows over time. But I think the, rat, the nutritionists really need to look at those rations and consider the cost of those inputs relative to the value of the milk output at this point in time. And just make sure, again, that we're continuing to provide a well-balanced ration that meets the needs of the cows at the production level where we've got them at. This may fly in the face of reality, but there is, is there any chance to reduce milk volumes and yet uh, maintain or even increase uh, fat and protein content? which, which but, might help cushion at least a little the, the revenue situation. Yeah, certainly there are markets, right? Component paid markets, which is a lot of them or all of them in some way, shape or form at this point. We've got to remember that we get paid for pounds of uh, protein shipped off the dairy and pounds of fat shipped off the dairy and not necessarily so much for pounds of the water that's in milk at the same time, right? So obviously, well, they don't worry about the concentration so much. Uh, I do pay a lot of attention to the pounds of total solids that are being shipped. And absolutely, if we can figure out a way to keep components up, on a pounds basis, uh, while we decrease the volume that goes with it, uh, that certainly will soften the uh, soften the hit, as it were, as we make these changes to the total volume that we sell. You know, another area that I think surfaces pretty quickly is is repro. You know, do we uh, delay breeding some cows? Do we look at the reproduction situation? How do, how how would that change? Uh, again, I think maintaining animal health is really important at this at this point in time. Um, I think we've got to assume that we're going to be able to get through this and get to the other side and that, and that somehow markets will open back up again to a certain degree and we want to continue to be competitive. So it's really important, I think, to maintain our reproduction program so that we're getting cows pregnant, so that we don't have a lot of cows in late lactation. Y yes, on a per day basis, they're, they're making less milk. But I think, again, we want our herds to continue to be highly productive, get cows pregnant, maintain for the cows that we're going to continue to milk, um, you know, the highest level of milk production per day of productive life that we possibly can. So I think getting cows is as important as it's ever been. And we don't want to walk away from whatever strategies we utilize to make sure that cows get pregnant in a timely fashion. Of course, we want to maintain cow comfort for animal care reasons and just ethical reasons. Um, so we, we want to make sure that I presume that the things that we're doing for, for bedding, cleanliness, uh, uh, and we're getting into warmer weather now, cow cooling, cow comfort, uh, I presume that you're going to advocate that we maintain those practices. 
Yeah, nothing's going to change in those spaces. Again, I'll go back and reemphasize my point that I made earlier. I don't think animal health and, and cow comfort types issues are, have ever been more important than they are right now. We want to absolutely maintain our cows in good condition. We want to maintain all of our health management programs. Um, and so we're going to maintain cow cleanliness for sure. There's no disease that's more expensive to the U.S. dairy industry than, than mastitis and anything that contributes to lowered quality milk. So we're going to maintain cow cleanliness. We're going to maintain all of our best practices um, in terms of parlor operations, ensure that our cows are you know, are doing doing the best job we can. We we can't afford to have unhealthy cows because we've got enough challenges as it is. Just maintaining revenues based on restrictions and the amount of milk that we can get off of dairies. What are some of the other issues uh, that that you see and that you're helping producers with? So I think a couple other considerations, strategic considerations that I expand on from my previous mention was drying cows off earlier. This has been a topic of conversation in the industry over the last couple of weeks with some folks advocating even for drying cows off as much as for a three-month or four-month dry period. We think there's definitely an opportunity to dry cows off earlier. People are targeting 45 days dry, 50 days dry in their aged cows and 55 or 60 days dry in their first lactation animals. We think you can add about two weeks of of uh, dry period time to that, <clears throat> to the dry period and not significantly hurt cow performance in the long run. If we add two weeks of days dry to a herd that has a normal 14 month calving interval, that's about 3.3% of milking days that come off the books and it probably decreases the total flow of milk by about two and a half percent. So that's a great opportunity to milk some less productive cows, make sure cows get an adequate dry period and uh, you know, keep them safe and performing. I think the real challenge that we see is when you get beyond 70 days dry in animals, some of our work would indicate that the risk of early lactation removals in the first 60 days of lactation after an animal calves probably doubles once you exceed 70 days. It may go up as much as three times if you go above 90 days, and it may be well above four or five X a normal dry period if you exceed 100 days dry. So there are some real risks to transition cow disease in animals that stand dry for an excessively long period of time. We think most of that risk is associated with the fact that those animals do continue to put on body weight. They get over-conditioned, they, they get heavy, and they don't do, a, don't do well after they calve. So while drying cows off earlier is certainly a consideration, you've got to understand that there are limits to what we think we can do there. If we're able to uh, plan and dry off some cows following your guidelines, uh, drying them off a little earlier, a couple weeks earlier, should we be looking at that dry cow ration? Or if it's only two weeks, uh, we don't need to make too many adjustments. So I think, again, this is a this is a consideration that you need to talk through, particularly with your nutritionist. If you've got cows that are you know, able to maintain good body condition, relatively well-controlled body condition, where you're at right now, you may not need to make a whole lot of changes to your ration going forward. I think in general, we're thinking that to the extent that we can decrease the uh, energy density of those diets and increase the forage content of those diets such that uh, cows are still able to, able to eat and stay full, um, they're getting all of the basic nutrients that they need to maintain you know, appropriate growth of the fetus, particularly in the last two months of gestation, that's important. But clearly, we don't want a lot of extra energy um, in those rations, and we want to control that as needed, given the specifics of the farm situations that we're dealing with. 
Are there any other thoughts that you have in terms of, obviously, with a lower producing group of cattle, we can't really maintain a, a financial margin, but is, do you have some thoughts on how you can minimize the financial impact, the negative financial impact when we're making these changes? So again, I think one of the big things is thinking about maintaining cow numbers as we go through this in the long run so that we're not putting excessive pressure on cash flow. Uh, we've seen over the last three weeks, the value of culled dairy cows drop from, and these are good culled cows, right? Dropped from a range of 450 to $600 down to 350 to 500 last week and maybe 250 to $400 for good cows this week. And again, that's all a function of lack of capacity uh, to harvest these animals. And so I think if we think about from a financial standpoint, what that really means is if we if we remove a bunch of animals from a herd, people are using borrowing-based loans and they're extended at $1,000 a head. If we remove a bunch of animals and, and we have to adjust our loans accordingly, we not only have to give back the, uh, the check that we get for the animals when they're removed from the dairy, so the, the call cow check, we also have to write a check out of cash flow to cover that $1,000 that we have out on those borrowing-based loans. And so if we get $500 for a cull cow, um, we've got to turn the $500 in and then write another check for $500 to cover the, the balance of that loan. And so we really want to avoid that cash flow hit. I think everybody's got to be prepared for the idea that we're going to have cows around that aren't milking, that we're really just waiting to get to a point where we can harvest them in the beef in the beef side of our industry. You know, there are, I think there are opportunities and challenges to doing that. One one last area that we might touch on, we haven't talked at all about the replacement herd, the heifer herd, heifers and calves. Do they enter into this uh, conversation? Yeah, I think absolutely. They, they come in in two different ways, right? Calves, calves that we've got on the ground right now, um, I think they're an opportunity to actually help us reduce milk flow off the dairies. We believe that there are opportunities to feed calves whole milk. Uh, more milk than we've been feeding them traditionally and for longer periods of time. As we've modeled it out, if we could feed animals two and a half to three gallons of milk per head per day and feed them for periods of 60 days to 90 days, depending on uh, limitations of facility availability, that potentially helps reduce milk flow off the dairy by, in some cases, three or four percent of total productivity. So there's some real opportunity there in terms of those calves helping us to uh, get rid of some of this milk. The flip side of that is we really Need to, do need to look at our replacement programs. We've got animals that we've invested money in for a long time, in a lot of cases from $1,700 or $1,800 up to north of $2,000 a piece to grow a replacement animal today. And clearly we have animals that we're not going to need coming into our systems. If people have genomics information, it helps make the decision easier in terms of identifying animals that we need to deviate to some other productive resource in our system. And I think that people need to look really most most dairymen maintain a pretty good safety stock of replacement animals. I think this is a great time to really look at whether we need those animals or not. And again, find ways to deviate them out of our system, whether that's decreasing the number of animals that we ultimately breed and, and deviating some of those animals immediately into a feeding situation. Or, uh, you know, again, just making sure we're efficient with our animals from a replacement standpoint so that the animals that we do need, we're bringing in in a timely fashion and we're not raising excessive numbers of replacements. One last topic that may be a little bit offbeat, but we've seen some information about feeding milk to mature cows and working uh, whole milk or, or the farm's milk into a, a TMR. Is that anything that should really be considered? Yeah, boy, that one's a, a real challenge. I know that that's been uh, brought forth by the University of Wisconsin Extension Service, and I know that some other folks have tried to address it as well. 
certainly milk is a nutritious uh, a source of nutrition for cows, just like it is for calves and for kids and all the rest of us. That being said, I think there's some real logistic challenges to the idea of feeding milk back to lactating cows. Number one, you've got to have a system that allows you to get it from being harvested in the milking parlor in the bulk tank into a feeding situation with your mixer wagons, if that's where you're putting it in. We have concerns about the fact that you know, milk is very good, again, as a nutritional source, but that makes it very good as a nutrient source for the bacteria that are normally in a ration. And we're concerned about bacterial overgrowth in the rations. We're concerned, particularly in the parts of the country that are already hot or warm about excessive heating of the TMR, making it unpalatable palatable for cows. And we're concerned about feed bunk cleanliness, specifically because of having that that milk in there and, and uh, causing bacterial overgrowth in the feed bunks themselves. So I think there's some real cautions to that. That being said, for people who are trying it, typically they're looking at one to two pounds of solids uh, per animal per day, which is one to two gallons of whole milk as a feeding rate. And uh, you know that's another one where you really need to talk with your nutrition about nutritionist about it. Think about the logistics of handling whole milk. My preference would be to find a different way to uh, reduce that milk flow off the dairy. Well, Mike, as we wrap up, uh, it sounds like what you would recommend is that the the producers, uh, a producer in this situation, thinks about what he has to accomplish, and then probably consult with his both his veterinarian and his nutritionist as he puts together a game plan. Yeah, I think again, really as a takeaway, remember what your goals are, and I do think this is a farm team discussion, right? Veterinarians, nutritionists, bankers. Anybody else that you use as a consultant really needs to be considered in there. And remember the goals because the goals, this is really not about winning the battle. This is about staying in the game. And so people need to not be focused on what they're going to do in the third quarter or fourth quarter or next year. They need to stay focused on where we are right now, tackle today's challenges today and get to tomorrow morning, tackle tomorrow morning's challenges tomorrow and get to the next day and stay focused on controlling the controllables. Obviously, we need to address this and they need, need to address it head on. We need to stay where we are with an eye focused to the future. And really, I think, Joel, remember the old adage about how do you eat an elephant, right? You eat it one bite at a time. Good advice in lots of situations, Mike. And uh, we keep these uh, episodes of our podcast on file. They're there for a long time. Let's hope that what you've shared with us today doesn't need to be kept around for too long. Yeah, I think we all hope that uh, smart on the human health side of things and, and managing all of the other secondary and tertiary impacts of the current coronavirus situation and that we can get to the point of the new normal as soon as we all possibly can. A good thought to end on. We've been speaking with uh, Dr. Mike Lormore, who's with uh, Zoetis, a longtime dairy veterinarian, on the issue of a planned decrease in herd production. An unusual topic, but unfortunately necessary in these days in some, some situations. Mike, thanks for being with us on Dairy Voice. This is your host, Joel Hastings with DairyBusiness.com.